The year is 1986. The Oprah Winfrey Show debuts nationally. 6.5 million people participate in Hands Across America. Halley's Comet passes the Earth for the second time in the 20th century. And Amanda Laura Vines was born in Thousand Oaks, California on April 3rd. I'm Hope Carew. I'm Paige Smith. And this is History Duffs Presents Amanda Vines. Hello. Hi. (laughs) Happy 2023, Paige. Happy 2023. I've missed you so much. I've missed you too. But more than that, I've missed History Duffs. I've missed our podcast. I I couldn't agree more. I've missed Hillary. I've missed Hillary. And then you. (laughs) And then you. And now I'm missing Amanda. I'm so excited to talk about Amanda for let's do so let's do a little recap let's talk let's what what are we doing season two we're not talking about Hillary Duff anymore I'm so confused it's called history Duffs it's called history Duffs you and I are history Duffs what's the deal what's going on well we decided that we've pretty much covered everything that needs to be said about Hillary with the exception of the recent John Corbett on how I met your father update <laughs> In which we we're going to have to talk about that. We're going to have to talk about it. We feel very uncomfortable. Relisten to our raise your voice <laughs> episode if you want context. Um, but we're ready to just move on past Hillary and to start going through some of her peers and acquaintances. I, I sort of think about it as we're building out the Hillary Duff universe a little mm-hmm. bit more. The Duffiverse. You know, we've talked the Duffiverse, right? We've talk, talked about Hillary... Um, and now we want to talk about, like you said, her peers and sort of build out the world a little bit more. Yes. And her peers specifically from the 2004 Vanity <laughs> Fair photo shoot, the Young Hollywood Edition. If yes, you know, you will be starting with <laughs> and you better know uh, we will be starting with that specific spread from Vanity Fair in 2004. <laughs> you know, the one if you're listening to this podcast, you know, the one. Um, so we're going to be talking about the other gals in that spread. You might think this is like our season two, but we're preferring to think of it in terms of like Taylor Swift eras. So this is our Amanda mm. Bynes era. That's good. Or as I like to call it, our Bynes and teen era. Bynes and teen. It really rolls right off the tongue, doesn't it? <laughs> it's more of a visual pun. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I'm fine with that. <laughs> Me too. I love that. Bynes and teen. Um, really quick, before we get too far into Amanda Bynes, I do just want to say a little something. Um, you know, we started this podcast to talk about Hillary Duff and how much we love her. And we do. We always will. Yes. Hillary is someone who hasn't been super open with some of her struggles growing up in Hollywood. I'm sure it wasn't all sunshine and roses all the time we talked a little bit about her body image issues and we talked about you know her relationship with joel madden and stuff like that but there's not a lot there wasn't a lot to discuss as far as some you know darker things going on moving forward yeah there are no like teary-eyed interviews with oprah yeah exactly so moving forward as we talk about other people some people have been more open with those struggles and we will talk about the darker times to the best of our ability we are definitely not experts we're just people who love 
these people from the Vanity Fair 2004 spread and want to talk about their careers and shine a positive light on everything that they've done. We are it is going to be a positive podcast, but yes. you know, just know that going forward, kind of a blanket trigger warning as we talk about some people and then also just trust that we want to do that do right by them. We're not trying to, you know, make anybody look bad or anything. No, like I think our goal with every episode that we do is like if the person we're covering were to hear it, like would they be hurt or not? Is like we want them to like love it. We we wouldn't want to say anything that we wouldn't want Amanda herself to hear. But her story does come with some darker elements that we are going to expose. So yeah, trigger warnings and buckle in. <laughs> yeah. That's just all. That's just it. Um, yeah. So anyway, let's talk about Amanda. Thanks, Paige. That was good. Oh, good. Okay. So it's a dark and stormy night in Thousand Oaks, California. Uh, and Amanda Laura Bynes is born to her dentist dad and dental hygienist mom. I don't actually know it was dark and stormy. I, felt I was going like to ask, is that, that documented? No, it's not at all. And actually, it's probably was a perfectly clear day in the 70s. I like to imagine the dark and stormy clouds parted when Amanda Bynes was born. She's Aww. just a ray of sunshine. Ah, she's the youngest <laughs> child. And um, that's that. I don't know why I said that part. <laughs> <laughs> youngest are usually the favorite. At least that's how it was in my family. It'd be really funny if you were the youngest. <laughs> <laughs> I'm definitely not the favorite. <laughs> I am, but I, I wouldn't say I'm the youngest either. <laughs> Okay, let's Okay, let's talk about it. So Amanda is very young. She's like only 7 years old and she starts displaying just huge comedic talent. And her parents are like, "Let's let's help her out with this. We live in Southern California." They enroll her in some like comedy camps and essentially she has a little showcase at the very famous Laugh Factory where she is scouted by some Nickelodeon producers. And yeah, and it's it was very her father, Rick, was very um, supportive of her sort of comedy career from a young age and really encouraged her. He's the one who found out about this Laugh Factory uh, camp where she could go and perform for like Richard Pryor came one day. Arsenio Hall was saw her as a kid like you know, so he's the one who kind of was encouraging of her to sort of pursue a career in comedy. Yeah, and then I think in it was 1993 she booked her first commercial. It's a bunch of crunch of commercial, and it just makes me think of like the Amanda Show with all the fake commercials they had. <laughs> oh my gosh! Yes, but this was oh, a real commercial. Wow. Um, but yeah, after the Laugh Factory, yeah, seven years old, her first job, seven, amazing. Just seven, right? The young age of seven. At the Laugh Factory, she gets discovered, and that's when she joins the cast of All That in 1996. Yep. Did you watch All That growing up? Of course I did, yes. Yeah, me too. It was really good. What was your favorite part? Ooh, of All That? Um, oh, man. What was like a... I'm trying to think of like a favorite sketch. I did love Pierre Escargot. Yeah, it came in the bathtub with like the French accent. <laughs> that one really sticks out in my head for some reason. That was very good. I love just the reoccurring bit. They would have guests sitting on a stool and then they would be like, know your stars. Yeah, know your stars. And they're like, 
Britney Spears only eats Jello. And she'd be like, wait, what? No, that's not true. And they're like, Britney Spears eats her toenail clippings. Like they would do the weirdest <laughs> things. And I thought that was so funny. Know your stars. That was really like, know your stars. <laughs> it was, that was exactly what kids thought was funny. That is one thing Nickelodeon does well. They know what makes kids laugh. Yeah. Right? Yeah. They know what makes kids laugh. And they also know what makes perverts laugh. And <laughs> they yep. kind of combine so those true. two things into one channel. Couldn't have put that better, Hope. Honestly, <laughs> that is that is so accurate. The Nickelodeon story. Nickelodeon was doing. <laughs> um, so Amanda's only 10 years old when she's in all that and already... She has reporters commenting on her appearance, which is just devastating to think about. And she was called a puffy faced kid. And that like sticks with Amanda. And of course it does, because you're 10 years old and adults are picking on your child appearance. Like that's just that's terrible for your self-esteem. And it's like a total stranger. Not that it would be better coming from somebody close to her, but she has no relationship to this whoever reporter that feels the need to comment on how she looks that's just gross like i'm like ugh. yeah like that okay did you see the stuff with chelsea brummet chelsea brummet yeah she did she was on all that and she did a an interview just a few years ago i want to say i don't remember what year it was but she told radar online yeah she was talking about her um uh not relationship to amanda but just how amanda was as a kid um Mm-hmm. She said that she thought she was cold and she felt like all that was her show. Um, but she knows how to kind of turn on the charm around people. I don't know. Everything that she said in this interview, in my opinion, sounds like a young kid who is in over their head and is trying their best to keep a job. You know, I I, yeah. I feel like it was not... I could see how... On a personal level, you know, Chelsea Brummett was also kind of a kid. She was a little bit older than Amanda, but was also young. I can see how it could be off-putting, but I don't know. I just don't think you can fault her for being... I totally agree for being like six years old. Yeah. And I also just feel like Chelsea Brummett doing this interview is kind of a low blow. She plays young Lorelai on Gilmore Girls. And like, I don't think she's really done anything since. So for her to just be coming out of the blue to like talk shit about Amanda's personality when she was straight up eight years old, like it just feels very um, like she's chasing some fame from it. And I didn't I didn't appreciate her. And to do it her so interviews. much. She's like, oh, she was so closed off. It's like, oh, you mean she's a child who's shy and maybe trying to remember her lines? Exactly. And Chelsea Brummett also said in this interview, talking about her dad, Rick, um, she said that he was really controlling of Amanda at the time and said that she uh, Amanda was always defiant with her dad and would hide things from him. Um so I can understand why Amanda might seem cold to her coworkers. You know, she's got a lot of weight on her shoulders when she's just 10 years old. Yeah. And it's also, and this is something that I just read in Jenna Fisher's book, and it brought a lot of perspective to this, where she was like, they, you know, I hear these rumors about how like no one's allowed to make eye contact with Eddie Murphy on set or like no one can talk to this certain celebrity. And yeah, it does make them seem like, a little bit of a dick, but you also have to remember that this is the person who's getting paid the big bucks to emote and be funny and be hilarious and to have all of these 
lines and such memorized. And it can be really emotionally draining to be socializing on set and then turning on the like star quality power stuff. Like it makes total sense to me that she would kind of want to save her energy for performing. I'm kind of the same way. Yeah, totally. I the more I think about the job of an actor, the worse it seems. Like when I'm having a bad day at work <laughs> and I can't I can't help but like show it on my face, you know, to then have to go in front of a bunch of people and if I'm not, you know, maybe I'm not feeling great, maybe I'm not looking my best to then have to go and like turn it on. Yes. Like that, I would be such a nightmare if I were a performer at all. I would be constantly like stressed and I don't know. I just I well two I things. think that that's a really good point. Two things, Paige. Number one, you are a performer. And number two, you are a nightmare. <laughs> How so does I at least I'm self-aware. Okay. Yes. <laughs> that's the nice thing about podcasting is like we don't have to wear makeup or costumes or really invest any part of ourselves other than our voice which of course I'm congested today. <laughs> we also are independent. So it's like, we don't have to, if you, if we woke up this morning, not wanting to do this, we don't have to do it. You know, we don't have anybody at this point, like telling us that we have to be on right now, you know? Yeah. Let alone like a studio with thousands of millions of dollars and in influence, whatever. And this is like we are adults and we're talking about adults. This is a 10 year old kid who's experiencing those pressures. Yeah, it's actually so crazy to be like, she was really cold. She was 10. She was 10 and she was she had a job, a full on <laughs> job. And she was trying to do that job when she was cold, like, quote unquote, cold. Excuse me. Excuse me. Young Lorelai. <laughs> Back off. Okay. Off, young Lorelai. Let's get out of 1996. Let's let's move on to 1999, where we have probably our personal favorite, the Amanda Show. I love that show. Amanda Mm -hmm. wins the Teen Choice Award for favorite TV actress all three years of the Amanda Show's run. That's how much it was loved by every kid. So deserved. Like truly, she's the best. And also, it's so like going back and rewatching old episodes of The Amanda Show. I think you're going to hear us say this a lot during the Byzantine era. Thank you for but... saying Byzantine. <laughs> it took a lot. It was really hard. It's not easy. Um, it's not easy. It's so many <laughs> sounds. Um, but I think she, like going back and rewatching it now with my adult eyes, she was truly so talented as a kid. I mean, she still is, but as a child, you can see it is so natural mm-hmm. to her, mm-hmm. like the comedic timing yes. that she has people study for years and years to try to be as just quick witted yeah. and uh, uh, like effortlessly hilarious as Amanda Bynes was. Like you can teach and hone comedy skills, but it's something you're born with or not. If you have that natural innate timing and it's also a huge sign of intelligence to be able to like see what is funny and then to see like what is the funniest thing I could do to heighten that funny. She's a kid. Like she's so smart and so talented. She's basically running her own SNL at 13. Literally 13 years old. 13. What? 
What I would have done with my power at 13 years old. (laughs) I was crazy at 13. I mean, I think a lot of us are because of all the hormones, but I was, I was an insane person. Like, I don't know if I would, (laughs) I would have loved to have the, the job of Amanda Bynes at this time, but I don't know if anyone could have held this job and done it with so much grace. And like every episode is a banger. I mean, Mm -hmm. and it's such a good point that you made about intelligence too. Like she, I, who knows, we'll probably never know if this is a job that she wanted or, you know, was meant to do or whatever. I truly think that she would have excelled in anything Mm-hmm. That she just happened to find herself on this like comedy track, but had her dad not been really encouraging of that, and if it wasn't something hopefully that she wanted herself as a, at a young age, like she could be. I mean, I don't. I she would be doing. Yeah, I mean, I think if she'd thing, been no doubt born anywhere other than Southern California, she probably would have found a different path. And we know that she's like a very creative person. Um, that's why she went to fashion school and she said that as a kid she was always doodling and drawing etc so I just yeah she's a really an incredible talent and to think of the things that she produced before even having a fully formed adult brain is insane insane I totally agree um do you, do you have a favorite part of the Amanda show a favorite I, sketch I always thought um my favorite forever has been Courtney for some reason the maha for some reason that character (laughs) i can't do it justice i can't do it like amanda she's like maha um that (laughs) character was just the funniest thing in the world to me as a kid i don't know why she every single sketch that she did as courtney was my favorite it was it was everything i personally love amanda please amanda please oh penelope taint (laughs) what an inappropriate name by the way yeah, right. Just like you said, makes kids and perverts laugh. My mom pointed that out to me as a kid. And I was like, I was like, mom, that that's not inappropriate. And she was like, it is. Trust <laughs> you me. Are wrong. I was like, I will not trust you. <laughs> this is <laughs> you're wrong, mom. And actually, you're a bitch. <laughs> Your poor mother. You were you were a maniac at 13, huh? Oh, I'm telling you, I'm honest about it. My hormones were insane. And <laughs> my mom had moved me across the country. So I was like a new kid living in the freezing Vermont with just hormones everywhere. I was a monster. Yeah, I moved I moved from Washington to Texas. So different climates as well when I was 11. And that really, I think that really does do a lot to one's uh, psyche. Yeah, it makes, it can, it can make or break you. <laughs> it made me, it broke you. <laughs> it broke me. It broke me fast. <laughs> I was just oh, out there committing crimes, being mean to my mom. What are some other um, good Amanda show sketches? Bring in the dancing lobsters. Judge Trudy. <laughs> Judge Trudy. My goodness. Actually, I don't know if this is that relevant, but when my parents announced that they were getting divorced, my brother, (laughs) my brother was like six at the time. And he goes, oh, who are you going to use? Judge Judy or Judge Joe Brown? (laughs) The two judges, the two genders. (laughs) genders. So, yeah, we were watching a lot of cable TV. (laughs) At six. Oh, my gosh, that's hilarious. See, comedy chops. Your brother has them. Yeah, he should have said Judge Judy or Judge Trudy. (laughs) 
That's I was hoping that's where this story would go, but that's okay. Did he do you think he knew Judge Trudy at six? Did he understand parody? Mm, well, okay. At <laughs> let's see. Yes. <laughs> hmm, yes. Okay, let's great. See. <laughs> Moving on. Moving on. My brother understands parody. <laughs> I I mean, we have to talk about Moody's point. Oh my gosh. So good. We're, there's only like six episodes or something. I thought it was so much more than that. It, it it made more of an impression on, I think, everyone than six episodes makes it seem like it would. But mm-hmm. it's like a parody of our favorite show, Dawson's Creek, which I didn't even know at the time. I was just Me watching neither. it like, this is hilarious. Her mom is stuck in a hot air balloon. That's also, hilarious. Hope and I lived together in college for a year and we named our apartment Moody's Point. Do you remember that? I completely forgot that. <laughs> you didn't That's even remember true. that? Yeah. I wasn't even Moody's thinking Point. about that. That's it's actually we the had, best name. It really, it was so fitting, but I think it was inspired by our loft. We had one roommate had in a loft, loft and we joked that she was like Moody's mom. <laughs> Not <laughs> air balloon. Moody. Okay. So something <laughs> I didn't know, and I, I'm curious if you knew this, but Moody's love interest in that sketch. I said Moody, so yeah, not Amanda. Moody's love interest mm-hmm, mm-hmm. was played by Taryn Killam. I did know that. And they actually dated during the show. So he's her first ever boyfriend. So Amanda's Aww. 14 when she dates 19-year-old Taryn Killam. No. From 2001 to 2002. You're yeah. You're kidding. You're kidding. I, I wish I was. So. That's pretty bad. That's so bad. I thought they were way closer in age than that. No. 19 and 14. I that I have a pit in my stomach. Yeah, it's not good. And I have I mean, I have a quote I can tell you about it afterwards. I mean, you can share now if you want to. Okay, fine. I will. <laughs> okay. Okay, so this is a little bit of a spoiler, but eventually she is in another relationship with another co-star from What I Like About You, Nick Zeno. And she's quoted from saying, like after the breakup with Nick, she said, I learned so much from both relationships. Both of them helped me to get to where I am today. The first one was there to sort of have a negative effect on me. And then the second one helped me to get back where I was. So that's just really sad because her first relationship, she's 14. She's with a 19-year-old. And she's saying it had a negative effect on her. Like, of course it did. Of course. Besides the fact that it's illegal and disgusting, like, to be four, thinking back to when I was 14 years old, I you have zero in common with a 19-year-old. They are way yeah. older. And just, I'm like thinking of the, the I don't know, I, they're, it's just you're in such a different. I just said I was like feral at yeah. 14. I was an insane person. I can't even imagine dating a boy who can drive a car when I'm 14. Like that's too old in my head. Like, yeah, if you're 14 years old, that is so young. And it just makes me like question the parental supervision. And and if like, oh, you're just OK with that. And. Right. At the time, like this was being reported on and everyone was just okay with that. It's so crazy how, I mean, this was 2000, what'd you say? 2001, 2002. Yeah. Even just 20 years ago that it was so, it was almost normal. There were very few articles being like, "Mm, red flag. 
Yeah. I'm not just talking about this relationship. There were so many relationships. No, like Hillary and, and Joe ba- Joel Madden. Exactly. Yeah. It's just. It's crazy that more people weren't like, mm, this is weird. Um, Something feels wrong. And not only that, they would always blame the woman. It's just like. It was probably Amanda's fault for dating a 19 year old. It's also like, doesn't she have like a child advocate on set? Isn't there someone who's supposed to be watching her as an as a minor? And wouldn't it be against their rules for her to be dating a 19-year-old co-star? Like, where's the protection for Amanda? How did nobody pull 19-year-old Taryn Killam aside and say, what do you think you're doing? You're a grown man. You're in college. And you're dating an eighth grader? Like, where was somebody to talk to him and get him off the show? Oh, that's so gross. It's so gross. And you... You're like a, a big SNL fan. You didn't even know about this. So it's mm-hmm. like, I don't feel like anyone knows about Taryn Killam dating 14-year-old Amanda Vines. I mean, he's had a great career since. Like, this obviously didn't affect him at all negatively. No. He was also in Big Fat Liar with Amanda Vines. And that would have been the towards the end of their relationship. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, so. Ugh, gross. So gross. So, yeah. Okay, so but you we're going to hear first, Taryn Killam canceled. <laughs> We're here to expose him. Well, I'm just like, what? What? And right. is he going to, he has two kids now. When they're 14, is he, is it going to take them turning 14 for him to realize what happened? Does he know? Yeah. Is this something that he's talking to a Shamed therapist of? about or something? Right. I like, That's a really good question. Yeah. And is it just because they're famous and on TV that they're allowed to like get away with it? Or is it like because Amanda is famous and on TV that he thinks it's somehow acceptable because they're in the same, they're coworkers in a sense? Yeah, there's always like, oh, they're so mature. They're so mature for their age. Absolutely. And it's like, they don't have to be that mature. You know, it's it's unhealthy and dangerous to to grow up too fast. Anyways, as gross as that is, I am glad we have a podcast like this where we're going through kind of the history and these people's careers where we can expose some of these things that weren't maybe talked about enough at the time. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And also like something that I think is both of our pet peeves is whenever we talk about Amanda Bynes, the first thing that people say isn't, oh my gosh, what a talented person and comedian. They say, oh my gosh, what happened to her? And I just kind of, that rubs me the wrong way because first of all, she's very young. So nothing has happened to her that can't, you know what I mean? Like she still has a whole Mm -hmm. life and career ahead of her. But also if you want to know what happened, well, here are the million little things that happened that the industry, quite frankly, is responsible for. Yep, absolutely. Um, Also, something I thought of while researching, doing research for this podcast you know that TikTok audio that's like, I love being a woman. Yes. <laughs> this made me feel like I love being a woman because so many people that I like videos I watched or articles I read were written by women talking about Amanda Bynes the way that we're talking about her now, yes. where it's like this. So much of this was not her fault. And she's a victim of her circumstances. And I just love it was really cool to see so many like girls having her back in a way. Yes. I don't know. I loved it. I know. I was I was listening to some podcast episodes about her and the, they were talking about her the way that 
you and I talk about her privately, which is just like, what an incredible woman. When I say privately, I don't mean like (laughs) we're saying anything that we wouldn't have recorded. It's just like, I feel like women are, especially young women who grew up with her and watched her on screen. And she had such a big impact on us. Like every, I could throw a rock and hit a girl and she could tell me an Amanda Bynes quote. Yeah. Is that an expression? Throw I'm not a rock sure, and hit a but... girl? I don't know about that. Um. <laughs> this is a feminist podcast and I like to throw rocks at women and men. Equality, Mostly baby. women though, because they can, they can quote Amanda better than anybody. <laughs> Let she who okay, cannot quote Amanda right. throw the first stone. Um. <laughs> Okay, okay, back to 2001. So now 2001, <laughs> uh, she was a guest on the Drew Carey show or a guest. I say guest. That's not even correct. Basically, Drew Carey did. So Drew Carey's this guy. He used to have a sitcom. Okay. He did a special like mm-hmm. two part episode that was um, like a sketch show instead, if I understand correctly. I've only seen two episodes of the Drew Carey show and it was these two episodes. <laughs> I was trying hard to find them. So when you said, don't worry, I watched them. I was relieved because I, I found couldn't. them um, on like an internet archive where somebody had uploaded the entire Drew Carey show. Oh, you got to love people in their hobbies, <laughs> you know, someone's passionate about it. And thank goodness for that person. Absolutely. Someone's a Drew Carey archivist. Season three. <laughs> Drew Carey. <laughs> okay. Can I, can I tell you my annoying connection to Drew oh, Carey please. just because we're never going to have another chance to talk about it. And it's only something that should be said on my podcast. Cause it's so just self uh, aggrandizing or whatever. Uh, no, I just love Drew Carey because his name is so similar to mine <gasps> because my name is hope Andrews Carew and it's spelt like Drew and Care, it's right in my name. And the show takes place in Ohio and I where I'm from. So as a kid, I'd be like, <laughs> the Drew Carey show? More like the Hope Carew show. Oh my gosh. That yeah, I never would have more like the Drew Carew. Drew Carew show. is such a good name, and I wish that you would go by that. But hey. <laughs> my mom wants me to do that. I think you should imagine being a guest on Drew Barrymore's talk show and you can talk Drew to Drew. Drew to Drew. Hey, I should be able to talk Drew to Drew to her with her already. I guess that's true, but it would take a lot more explanation. True. And who knows if she, if you could do that. Everyone (laughs) on TikTok is convinced that I am Drew Barrymore's voice doppelganger. Like not everyone, but whenever I have a video get a little bit of traction online, the majority of the comments are, I thought this was Drew. Drew? Drew Barrymore? Drew? Well, let's ask the so experts, funny. the fans of the pod. Do you guys think Hope sounds like Drew Barrymore? Do you think I sound like Drew Barrymore? Here, let me give you a quick example. E.T. Adam Sandler. <laughs> Flower Beauty. Her most iconic lines. <laughs> <laughs> if you ever get the chance to go out in the rain. <laughs> I don't Which think you funny- sound like her, but I also know you growing up everyone everyone told me I sounded exactly like Miley Cyrus Mm -hmm. so it's funny to me that like that is completely shifted I never get that anymore and I just get Drew interesting hmm do you do it on purpose Interesting. I don't hear any of it sweet niblets I sure (laughs) do not (laughs) 
Um, okay, so anyway, the Drew Gary show, it was a two episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> two episode uh sketch show. Um, and it also had performances, like music, little musical interludes. It's only a 30-minute show. They really crammed a lot in there, but they had performances from Shadaisy, Smash Mouth, um, Uncle Cracker, <laughs> Sugar Ray. <laughs> it was really Wow. Every other name I recognize. <laughs> Smash Mouth and Sugar Ray. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Uncle Cracker. I have I have so many questions about the name. Seems Uncle, you don't know Uncle Cracker? No. I'll send you sorry. Some, I'll send you some stuff. <laughs> I'm a sorry, big Uncle Cracker fan. I'm not. Um, Actually, yesterday we were playing a game that was like how you have to guess like how well loved an object is. And the example was crackers. Oh, wavelength. Were you playing wavelength? <laughs> yes. Mm, yes. Nice. But I'm like, do people feel strongly about crackers? I think it depends on the cracker. Mm, that's so true. If it's a Triscuit, I have opinions. I'm not a Triscuit gal. Good to know. I'm a Ritz girly till I die. <laughs> Whoa. Okay. Ritz crackers are so rich. They just taste like butter. The serving size for Ritz crackers is like five. <laughs> You're not supposed to eat a lot. Of Ritz, you hear that? We are available for, for Ritz sponsorship. Yeah. Cecily Strong's busy with Triscuit. Okay. Anyway. Okay. Um. So she. 2002. Oh yeah. Sorry. Oh no. I mean, are we done? Are we done with Drew I guess. Carey, right? <laughs> we already mentioned Drew Carey, Drew Carew. She, well, she also voted on who they liked more. Also in this, um, episode or in these special uh episodes was jenny mccarthy um ryan styles craig ferguson so it was a wait jenny mccarthy yeah, yeah. that's interesting because later on jenny mccarthy tweets at mm -hmm. amanda and they get into minor twitter beef. jenny mccarthy the Awkward. way that it was framed on the show was like it was as if jenny mccarthy was like kind of the host like she would have been on snl like she kind of played herself a bit amanda was more of just okay. like a supporting kind of cast member right so yeah crazy though mm -hmm. crazy it's very funny um watching the drew carey show uh and just how much of a like very much a product of 2001 a lot of jokes that kind of be made today as expected like a lot of jokes about 9 11 <laughs> just kidding. and it hadn't even happened yet <laughs> a lot of predictions it actually would have been close though because it was the back to school special and doesn't school start like september, september? yeah it does Yikes. or late august depending if you're in texas okay you're, are you ready for yeah, 2002 i'm so glad you added that <laughs> yeah <laughs> 2002 Let's move on. big fat liar Amanda co-stars in Big Fat Liar with none other than Frankie Muniz. Frankie, woo! And I guess Taron Killam. <laughs> Gross. And this yeah, movie he's the he's like the bully that uh, steals Frankie Muniz's skateboard. I'm remembering says, that now. But yeah. I have your skateboard. <laughs> and he goes to he pretends to be Amanda Bynes at her grandma's house. Yes, to cover while to cover she's in Hollywood. Yeah, he like wears a wig and he's like, hi, grandma. He goes, it's just Kaylee, grandma. <laughs> well, grandma's this, like old and can't see very well. This movie is written by known pervert Dan Schneider, who also Disgusting. create. Did we talk about how he created the Amanda show and all that? I don't even know if we did. We did not. We did not talk about it. Um, now's a good time to talk about it, though. He is the one one of the ones that discovered her at the Laugh Factory. Um, 
and invited her to join the cast of all that and then yes. created the Amanda show for her after that. But he did a lot of stuff for Nickelodeon. He did Drake and Josh, iCarly, Victorious. Yeah. Um, and Drake and Josh mm-hmm. is another all that spinoff, if you think of it. I remember watching the Amanda show and my older brother telling me one day, he's like, you know, Drake and Josh are getting their own show. It's called Drake and Josh. And I was like, you're lying. That's a stupid title. You clearly <laughs> made that up on the spot. <laughs> I remember it so clearly. That is so funny. My brother's a big gaslighter, so I didn't believe a lot of things he said. <laughs> older brothers, it's hard because half the time they're telling the truth because they're just older and know a little bit more. And the other half, they're totally gaslighting you. For no reason. For their own entertainment. Just for the power of it all. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. So I was sure. I was convinced. I was like, uh, no, you're I lying. I think so. <laughs> there are some things that like, I didn't believe that my brother said were true that I, for years, was like, you're wrong. For example, Avril Lavigne's song, Skater Boy. Um, <laughs> they say, like, you know, and all of her friends, they already know or whatever, that's like, all of her friends stick up their nose. They had a problem with his blank clothes. What is the lyric? Mm-hmm. They had a problem with his baggy. Yes, that's the lyric. My brother told me that was the lyric, but I did not believe him because I heard <laughs> I heard petty clothes. They had a problem with his petty clothes. And no matter how often my brother and my stepmom even would be like, it's not petty. I'd be like, I don't believe you. Liars. (laughs) Yeah, isn't it? It's really hard to be a sister with an older brother. (laughs) It is. It's hard to be a little sister. I think that's where a lot of my trust issues. (laughs) As we know from Drake and Josh. (laughs) Megan. Megan. One time, um, if you think about it, so many shows came from all that. And like, if we're talking about like Drake and Josh, and then we even do a spinoff iCarly from there. And then we do Sam and Cat, mm-hmm. which was a spinoff of that and Victorious. Yeah. And then you can spin off again, even and say um, iCarly reboot. We're using spinoffs incorrectly, but it's, it's like the Dan Schneider. Yeah. Cat. He gets a certain cast member and then we'll write a show for that cast member so yes um not exactly spin-offs like they don't get their own it's not the same character but we all know we all know yeah, what we okay mean. i am using the term wrong but okay just to talk we hate this person not we're not fans we don't want to give him like a platform but at the same time it's important for us to like expose his wrongdoings because he's never been charged with anything yeah and nickelodeon only severed ties with him a couple of years ago and they basically did it like they severed ties, a.k.a. the heat was coming down on him and they let him quit before they could fire him. And this is where I have so many questions and issues is that they did a, um, a reunion for Victorious over the pandemic and Dan Schneider was in attendance. Yeah, I. So how is know that them- Nickelodeon was. I don't know if Nickelodeon was involved in that. I know what you're talking about. I don't know if that was like yeah. Nickelodeon's thing or if the cast and Dan Schneider just decided to just do that together. It makes I don't me, know. Like feel so sad and weird though, because those cast members have like talked about him being like toxic. So then for them to like well, show I, up again, it's so weird. 
I am a hundred percent convinced myself. I'm not making any allegations here, but my what makes sense to me is that Nickelodeon knew from the very beginning. Yes, the kind of person Dan Schneider was, and the inappropriate things that he was doing wasn't secret, and the environments that he had created on these sets. Yes, they let him get away with it, and so the reason they let him walk away was so they didn't get any more of their own people in trouble for letting him do all these things, run amok for all these years. They decided to sever ties and they said his contract had ended and that they just weren't going to renew it. Whatever. Not that he had been fired, not the creative differences, nothing like that. Zero accountability whatsoever. Zero. And that that's the thing where it's like, it's not and Christy Carlson Romano has been talking about this a lot and Allison Stoner and other former child actors who are now turning into advocacy. But here's the thing. It's like it's not just one person. Dan Schneider is only one person, but it's a symptom of a larger issue and that there's tons of executives enabling this behavior. And so just a couple of things. Dan Schneider was known to have like cast parties when you would start a new show, like all the cast members would come and it was no parents allowed. And it was just for the kids to come and bond with the producers. And it was, they were also no shoes allowed parties. So the kids would come barefoot. What? Yeah. He um, allegedly has a lot of interest in feet and children's feet in particular and would write things into his shows mm-hmm. where people would have to take their feet off or do or take their feet <laughs> off, take their shoes Very off. Brats of them. Or do <laughs> or do weird things with their bare yeah. feet. Like there's just a lot of gross feet stuff. And you're watching which goes it. to your yeah. point, Hope, of what makes kids and perverts laugh. Yeah. You know, it, we were like, oh, this is hilarious. A kid putting ketchup on their feet. It was always like, oh, if you don't do this, I'm gonna make you like lick mustard off my toe like the weirdest things or like oh we have to squish things with our feet and I know Ariana Grande was made to say like a lot of really uncomfortable things in Victorious and in Sam and Cat and it's just like you watch these things back with an older lens and I'm a babysitter I was watching iCarly a couple of years ago with the girls I nannied and there was just so many things that I'd never noticed my first watch that I was then like really uncomfortable with. And also another weird thing, not about feet, but Dan Schneider or Nickelodeon tends to make fun of the homeless community a lot or the unhoused community. Yeah. And they're in almost every single episode of iCarly, because once I noticed it, I couldn't stop noticing it. They they talk about hobos, like specifically the word Mm -hmm. hobo. And I'm just like, come on. Can we not punch up? Yeah, because in these in these stories, that's like the lowest, grossest thing a person can possibly be. It just promotes othering. Yeah, you know, absolutely not into it. Highly recommend uh, Jeanette McCurdy's book. I'm glad my mom died. She talks about she tells stories about the creator um, in her book. Yes, I also recommend if you can stomach it because huge trigger warning um a documentary called an open secret which was a documentary that was made by an oscar-winning documentarian that no studio in hollywood wanted to touch with a 10-foot pole they would not it could not get distribution for the life of it um because it talks about 
uh, sex abuse in Hollywood, specifically with children, and it names names. So nobody wanted to, you know, potentially ruin relationships by distributing mm-hmm. this uh, really mm-hmm. important documentary. But it's very, it's very good. And that's what's so like troubling. It's like so many people choose their careers or their, you know, reputations or their fear of things being taken away from them by naming names. And all that does is keeps abusers in power. And it's like, it, it just takes a couple of brave people to like put themselves on the line. And it's obviously really tragic that there's retribution against these people who speak out and they're, then they're listed as like hard to work with or unreliable when in reality, they're just trying to shed light on the abuses that are going on behind the scenes. So before we before I move on from Dan Schneider and feet, the other thing that Jeanette McCurdy talks about in her book is that Dan had a digital camera and he would walk around and he would offer the kids a dollar to take a picture of their feet. And how do you keep a man like that employed as as a like a producer, as anyone who sees this, as a parent, even how do you? It's horrible, but it's because he has so much power over these kids, and it's like you have to bond with Dan, and it's also like textbook grooming. You know, mm-hmm. he gets them when they're young. He promises them fame and fortune, and I can make all your dreams come true, but you can't. You know, you can't fight me on these certain issues. I, it's just crazy to me. I know things change takes a long time, but it's amazing to me how little has been done to protect child mm-hmm. actors mm-hmm. in the last 80 years, last 100 years that we've been making movies. So yeah. little protection for kids. It's insane. Yeah. Like Shirley Temple and Judy Garland were going through like the same abuses that Jeanette McCurdy's going through. It's like really despicable. Yeah. There's been no, there hasn't been change. Or if there is, it's like the appearance of change when things are really dark behind the scenes. When kids are being separated from their parents. Yeah. All it really takes is a a new job on a set where someone is there to advocate for the child. There's nobody really yeah. doing that. They have to have a parent there, but we know. You know, sometimes parents aren't the best or most reliable person in the child's life. You know, you can't count on them to yeah. have their best interests at heart. And the the no, and then you can also can't count on the tutors and the chaperones to not be like I don't want to say like paid off, but maybe they were chosen for that job because they'll turn a blind eye. Maybe they are part of the problem. Like there's so many. There are so many people who work on sets that it's absurd to me that there aren't more people who are there specifically to protect the children. And it's because, oh, maybe the maybe the people who have the power to make that change are choosing not to. A new job in the last few years is an intimacy coordinator, which is a position solely designed to make people comfortable for any sort of like on-camera intimacy. So if there's a sex scene, if there's a kiss Mm -hmm. on camera, the intimacy coordinator is there. If there's any sort of nudity, that it's their job to make sure that everybody is consenting and, you know, enthusiastically like participating in these scenes. 
just jumping on someone's lap. There's like an intimacy coordinator for that, right? Yeah. And they just make sure that everybody's comfortable and knows what they're doing, that no lines mm-hmm. could potentially be crossed. That is just a position. We we need to add a position like that for the kid. Let the kid know exactly what they're going to be doing in this scene. You know, if you're asked to do something different, that's not going to fly. You know, you can't, the director can't just say, oh, let's do another one where, you know. Yeah. You do something different this time. No, have a have a person there who works for the production that will advocate for the child and can be that sort of reliable person. Yeah. The and kid. they almost need to operate like independently, you know, like they need to have a different higher up that they because if they all have to be in the director's pocket, not sure that would really help. But if it's their job to like communicate with executive producers or, you know, it's just exactly like, in the same sort of vein as an intimacy coordinator where they're advocating yes, for the and cast. balances. Exactly. Just more. Uh, I don't, I don't get why those steps haven't been taken yet. And I mean, I'm, I'm speaking from a kind of a limited um, knowledge of how the film business works. I mean, I know some okay. stuff I've never worked with kids in particular, like on a children's show or anything, but it just seems like there's, I don't know if that's the right answer, but it's something. It's something more than what they're doing now. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. You hear so many times too, like the kids on the sets will become really close with their stage parents or, you know, their, their cast, their mom on the show. And it's like, that's really sweet. And it's, I feel like that's probably a symptom of there not being that many other adults and these casts having to look out for each other. I mean, they talk about on the set of Modern Family with Ariel Winter, she was going through um, a difficult period with her mom and she was getting emancipated and her mom would come on to set and like berate her appearance and make her feel awful to the point where then the cast members would like protect Ariel and they like Julie Bowen would like tell her mom to like F off. And I just think that's really sweet, but it's also like, would that be happening if there wasn't more people there for the kid to bond with other than their pretend parents? You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. And I love those stories and I think it is really sweet and it is a, you know, it's always nice to hear that they have somebody, but also that's not the job of the, the cast. You know, yeah, that is a exactly. responsibility that is now being put on them. That is not, it shouldn't be, you know, so yeah, something it's has like good to, to know that they're a good human right? and that they're wanting to protect this child. But why is it only them? And yeah. also when they have their job on, on stake, they can't be, they can't be everything. They can't advocate for themselves and for the child as well as someone whose job would be to advocate for the child. Anyway, I'm waxing poetic. It's actually a good segue sort of back on the topic of Amanda, because during this time in 2002, she was leaning heavily on Dan Schneider um, and his Mm -hmm. wife, whose name I can't remember and frankly don't want to. It's it's Lillian, something Lillian or Lillian something. It's not Schneider, but um, she... Delaine Maxwell. (laughs) Yeah, she also knows a lot more than she um she's a consenting. She's she's whatever. She lets Absolutely. him get away with too much. Um but she said that Amanda was coming over to their house all the time at this point because she was um trying to get emancipated from her parents. Yes. So she was relying really heavily on Dan Schneider and his scummy wife. Um 
Yeah. And that just makes me think of grooming. Like I'm, I'm not, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know, but it's like, she's filing for emancipation. She wants to live with Dan and his wife. Like she feels like that's a safe space. And as we're going to find out later, that safe space doesn't exist for her for, for long. Yeah, exactly. Um, wait, back to big fat liar. This is kind of fun because she had a rumored romance with Frankie Muniz during filming, 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 (laughs) during filming. I mean, it was never confirmed and honestly could just be a PR thing, but I do like to think about Hillary and Amanda having a little bit of a a little, a little love triangle. I a will say triangle. coming up. So in a future episode, there's another uh, Bynes Duff connection that I you're going to have to. There's several, but you're going to have to hear it to believe it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, just to put a little, you know, end uh, on the episode. 2002 was also the end of the Amanda show. R.I.P. That finally came to an end. And then she moves on uh, to what I like about you, which we'll talk about in part two. So stay (laughs) tuned for part two. We'll be covering some iconic movies that if I threw a rock at you, you would quote to me. (laughs) (laughs) You better. So, Paige, we have a different format this time, but like, should we... Mm-hmm. Should we s- pick a favorite love interest of that we've discussed? Sure. Let's pick a favorite project so okay. far. Then my favorite project would be the Amanda show. And my favorite love interest would just be the dancing lobsters. Cause I love them. <laughs> good. That's very good. Um, I think my favorite would have to be big fat liar. That one really, I really do love that one. Also, I wasn't allowed to see it when it came out. Because my parents didn't like the name Big Fat Liar. They thought it was mean. That is so Um, funny. My parents had very weird things about what we could and couldn't watch. That is so funny. Yeah. Wait, for for the fans, I normally do this. But for the fans, could you describe the plot of Big Fat Liar before I let you go? I'd love to. Um, And I am going to throw a rock at you if you get anything wrong. (laughs) And we're doing this through the computer. So I'm willing to sacrifice my computer. Just to throw a rock. Oh, wow. At you. Yeah. That's yeah. incredible. Um, okay. So Frankie Muniz, whose name is um, Jason, his character's name, Jason, um, Jason Shepard. Wow. It's all Whoa. coming back to me. Jason, <laughs> Jason Shepard <Shepherd>. has, <laughs> I think that's exactly how the trailer sounded. Um, he writes a story about, we don't really know what the story's about and it doesn't frankly matter, but he writes this story and it, it gets into the hands of Paul Giamatti's character, Marty Wolf, who's a big time movie executive and he turns it into a movie and Jason Shepard's parents don't believe that he actually wrote this movie. So he, there's nothing else for him to do, but go to Hollywood, track down Marty Wolf, get him to admit. He just wants him to admit it to well, his because- parents. He just wants his parents. It was a summer school assignment and his parents have like Mm -hmm. lost trust in him. And they were like, you need to pass summer school. We don't believe you, you liar. He's he's known for being a big fat liar. Don't say that in front of Paige's parents. (laughs) (laughs) Stop. I'm going to be grounded. Uh Oh, Um, but he wants Marty Wolf to admit that he stole the story. And his best friend, Amanda Bynes, Kaylee, goes with him to 
Los Angeles, which is how I say it now because that's how they say it in the movie, <laughs> um, <laughs> to track down Marty Wolf and torment him until he confesses. I feel like this movie absolutely helped inspire my love of like Hollywood and the entertainment industry. So it's, I don't know, it's a special movie in my heart too. <laughs> Oh, yeah. They live at Universal Studios when they get there. And if you take the Universal Studios tour, they play a clip from Big Fat Liar where the water is rushing down and picks up Marty Wolf. And yeah, when they referenced that, I was like, don't worry, mom, I'll explain it all to you. (laughs) (laughs) She's like, just listen to the pod. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so that's a little bit of a more positive note. You can think about the happiness of Big Fat Liar. (laughs) You can give it a watch if you want. Um. But give this a listen first. I don't know. That was weird. Yeah. Uh, no, this is it's great. Um, anyway, you're Hope Carew. And you're Paige Smith. And this <laughs> was History Duffs presents Amanda Vines. We're out of here. Perfect. <laughs>